you know, sometimes we slip into what I call survival mode. And this week was survival mode for me, uh, for us at home. Uh, all of us were sick, each and every one of us, the five of us. Uh, we all went through uh, just this stomach bug. It was like World War Z. There were towels everywhere. Uh, we broke our laundry, uh, our, our washing machine. I did so many loads of washing. Uh, it's, it's making these funny noises. It sounds like it's being exercised every time I, wash, I do a load now. And it, it was survival mode. And every morning, every morning I would wake up, and we were all sort of camping out in the, in the, in the living room. And every morning I'd wake up and say, no vomit? This is a win. This is, this, this is what life looks like. I mean, this is... This is paradise. When we woke up and we said, oh, we don't have to do four loads today, this is paradise. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes surviving, sometimes the bare minimum, sometimes just being able to wake up and breathe is enough. Survival mode is not to be frowned upon. But so often what happens is we, every week becomes survival mode for us. And so many areas of our life become survival mode. And what I've noticed at times is that community becomes survival mode, where we, if we can just do the bare minimum, if we can just do enough to tick this box, then, then we're okay. And, and what I want to say today is that that is not enough in this city. I don't want our communities to just survive. I don't want our relationships to just make it. I want us to thrive in our communities. I want us to be people who come out the other side better because we have engaged meaningfully and powerfully and according to the Holy Spirit in our communities. I don't know if you want that. I don't know if you are okay right now with just surviving, but I am not okay with just surviving in community. So I want us to walk through what it looks like. What may it look like for us in this city in 20, you know, approaching 2017, what does it look like to be the community of God in, in an age of unbelief and skepticism? In an age where any truth claim, any, any, anything you claim to say that may be universally true is met with a sharp eye of suspicion. Who do we need to be to be the people of God in the city? And I want to say that community is the key. And a community that is energized and propelled by the gospel. A community whose action matches their words. A community that doesn't just talk, but game is given. Game matches the talk. This is what Leslie Newbigin, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but Leslie Newbigin, he was a missiologist and a pastor. He said this. He said, I have come to feel that the primary reality of which we have to take account in seeking for a Christian impact on public life is the Christian congregation. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible, that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross? This is what he's saying. I am suggesting that the only answer, the only hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who live by it, and who, who believe it and live by it. And we may be hung up on that word hermeneutic, and, and this is what hermeneutic is. Simply, say, simply said, hermeneutic is just a, a, a method, an art, and a science of interpreting something. So this is what he's saying. How are we going to be the people of God in this city? Is it just talking? Is it just words? Is it just saying, hey, yes, Jesus is love? Is that all there's to it? He's saying, no, every single word we speak, 
almost has this invisible thread. And that invisible thread needs to lead back to a people who are believing it and living it. Every word we speak, so often we think it's, it's just, it's unattended and it's unconnected to anything else. But every single word we speak has this invisible thread that should be lead back to a people together who not only believe what they're saying, but live by what they're saying. That's what Leslie Newbigin is saying. And that's what I, I think, and this is nothing new. So often we think, oh, you know, it's just because of the age that we live in. But even back, you know, in the third century, one of the church fathers, his name was Cyprian. He, he said this, he said, we know virtues by their practice rather than boasting of them. And I know so often I have been uh, found guilty of boasting about virtue rather than practicing it. And so the gospel, the, the reality that Jesus, that God in Christ has come down and he lived the life that we could never live and died the death that we deserve and rose to life and victory in the resurrection and ascended into heaven and is coming back, that happened in history. That happened historically. And I don't want us to think that our good behavior is going to save our neighbors. Being good won't save anyone. But as we embody these truths of the gospel in community, what happens is that that gospel, that reality, that truth comes to bear in a fresh and new way in your community, in your friendships, in your families. For those that you have been praying for at your GCs, as we embody the gospel in community, not just as a single people, we hope and we pray that the kingdom of God is breaking through and people will want and see this. And our culture yearns to see a new story. It doesn't only yearn to hear a new story. It, it doesn't just want to hear that God in Christ has come in and invaded the universe and is remaking everything. And all bad things will come to an end. It doesn't just want to hear that. Our culture doesn't want to hear that. Our culture wants to see that in communities of light. And so I want to walk us through a couple things. One is just new thinking. We need new thinking about communities, but we need also old practices in community. New thinking and old practices. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, if you've never heard of him, he's a 20th century theologian. He lived uh, uh, during the, the Second World War, and he uh, is noted for being a part of uh, uh, a ruse uh, to uh, take Hitler out. And this is what he said. He, he led this underground church and this underground uh, uh, Bible uh, teaching seminary, and he said this in his book, Life Together. He said, Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. So the first thing we need to get straight is that we do not create community. Any language that says we create community is false. We may shape it. We're called to participate in it. We are called to nurture it. We are called to be a part of it, but we do not create Christian community. Christian community is a creature of the word. It's a creature of Christ's work in us. Paul says this in uh, 1 Corinthians. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. See, this is what we, in our culture and in our age, we tend to think this. We tend to think that I may have a personal relationship with Jesus. I have met him, and he's changed my life. And then I have the option of engaging in community. That's what a lot of our thinking, uh, that's the line a lot of our thinking goes down. But I want to say this, that if you are here, and if you believe that Jesus has saved you from your sins, and then he is who he says he is, and he is Lord of your life, you have no choice in whether or not you will engage in community. What you do have a choice in is whether you will engage meaningfully and transformatively, or if you will wither. But this is the point. You are part of this body, not just anchor, but the church. And you've chosen then, as you're here, to be part of this visible, uh, uh, as Ruth said, this visible branch of the body. But no one has a choice whether or not they are in community or not. The question is, and the choice is, will you do it well or will you do it poorly? Will you give yourself to it or will you starve your soul and your body from it? That's, That's the question. We do not create community but we're called to participate in it. But also notice what Bonhoeffer is saying. He, he, oftentimes we have this ideal of, of what Christian community should look like. And one of the gifts that Anchor has are this, this incredible creative team. And they're able to take our life and they're able to put it on film and make it beautiful and put music behind it. And it's a gorgeous picture. It is a beautiful picture. And we should use those gifts in this, in this city. We absolutely should. But what can so often happen is we, 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 uh, we look at these videos and we look at the, the, these uh, filtered photos. And when the reality doesn't match every second of the time, every second of the day, when conflict arises in our community, when sin rapes our community and ravishes it, we run because it doesn't meet this ideal of community. And what Bonhoeffer is saying is that Christian community is not an ideal we need to realize. It is messy, and it is hard. I mean, the gospel community leaders here know, opening up your homes every week to invite people in that you uh, may not be so excited to see that week, that's hard. But they do it because they love you, despite all things, and they love Jesus. It's hard to have those hard conversations when, when, you, when we, we see someone that we love who is slipping away from the truth in life and deed, in word and deed. It's hard to be driving down, as Mark Sayers was saying last week, it's hard to be driving down and seeing all these happy and healthy people in cafes while we're coming sometimes to worship Jesus together. I think you've made the right choice, but the point is our culture is saying that's much better, and it's hard. And when we idealize it, what happens is our ideals aren't met and we become bitter, we become critical, and we run. Christian community is messy because you're in it. If you, if you were hearing me and you said, yeah, that person, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, you. <laughs> me. I'm in it. So it's messy. But God is calling you to participate in it and make it beautiful. So, so what's it going to take 
it's going to take new thinking, that we, this is not an ideal, that we, are, we don't create it, but we participate in it. But it's also going to take some old practices. It's also going to take some old practices in order for us to engage meaningfully in community and engage our culture as a community. And what I mean by practices are this. We all have practices. And all of our practices shape us, whether we think it, whether we like it, whether we agree or not. Our, what we do shapes us. What we do with our bodies, what we do with our minds, what we do with our thoughts shapes who we are. And a lot of us have not thought about it this way. A lot of us don't think that we are being discipled by the culture, by our world. Every single one of us is a disciple. Every single one of us is being shaped by what we do and what we listen to and what we hear. Every single one of us. The question is, who, what? Who is the, is the strongest voice? Who is the strongest person moving you towards your discipleship? When we think about disciple, we think, oh, Jesus, everyone is a disciple. I was listening to the radio, and I often have to, uh, while, I'm, while I was driving, I often have to have my, my finger just right there, right? My kids are in, in the car. You know, I'm singing to Bruno Mars. I'm like, oh, wait, oh, hold on, wait, let me, let me change that. But there was a song that I, that just, the tune just attracted me, and I thought, what are they, let, let's, let's talk about what they're saying. And it's a song by Naked, and basically, this is what she's saying. This is what she's saying. She's saying, I'm feeling sexual, so let's get sexual. And that, that, that's the tagline. And what, see, the thing is, what is that saying to us? And we may sing along to it. If you're married here, be as sexual, please, as you want with your wife or your husband. We encourage that. That's a gift. But what is this song saying? How, how is it trying to shape us? It's saying this that your base desires should just be acted upon. It doesn't matter with whom. It doesn't matter what the consequences are. Just do what your body feels. And yet we think that we go unaffected by everything we are seeing and everything we are hearing. You and I are being discipled by our culture. We are being shaped. So the question is this. What practices should we adopt? I'm not advocating at all to turn off the radio. I'm not advocating at all not to go to the movies. I'm saying do that with a mindset knowing that we are being shaped by our culture. But what do we need to do? I want to go back to the text. Come back with me to uh, chapter 17, verse 20. You know, I do not ask for these only. So uh, let me give you some context. What Jesus is doing, he's, uh, this is known as a high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying for his disciples. He knows that he's about to go to Golgotha. He knows he is about to be crucified. He knows he is about to be murdered. And he prays to the Father for his disciples. He prays for them specifically. But then there's a turn where he says here in verse 20, I do not only ask for these only, he's speaking of the 12, but also for those, for us, for those who will believe through them but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And there are two things going on here. There's a rootedness in Christ. He's saying, I want them to be in me the way I am in you, and we could never fathom the relationship and the community that God is and was for all eternity past. 
the Father was in the Son, the Son was in the Father, and the Holy Spirit was just hanging out with them. Not sure how that works out, but it was happening. And there was this union, and he's saying that's the kind of union. He wants us to be rooted in him the way that he's rooted in the Father. But he also wants us to be anchored to one another. It's not only this relationship between, this personal relationship with, between me and Jesus, but it's also an intimate, hard, sweet relationship between one another. So we need different kinds of practices. We need practices that are individual practices that root us into Christ more deeply. But we also need communal practices that root us and anchor us to one another more deeply and more meaningfully. So I want to offer just two out of many practices that we can adopt to root ourselves further into Christ and four that will root us and anchor us to one another. Two, one is prayer. Why don't we pray? Why don't I pray as, as often as I would like to? Two reasons, I think. One is desire and one is expectations. I believe that if you have the Holy Spirit here today and that you call yourself a Christian, you want to pray. I'm not, I'm not trying to shame you here. I think you want to pray. I want to pray, but I also want to finish that series on Netflix. I also want to check my feed for the 456th time. It's our desires. We, it's not that we don't want to pray. It's that we also want a million other things. And we don't curate our hearts to want prayer above all things. So it's not that you don't want to pray. And I don't want to make you feel guilty saying, oh, it's that I don't want to. You, you, if you have the Holy Spirit, you want to pray. But so often we just want a million other things at the same time. We say, okay, listen, I'll just finish this one episode and then I'll pray. Have you ever done that? Liars. I did. <laughs> it's not that we don't want to. We often, we, we, we often want a million other things at the very same time. We don't have the uh, capacity or the practice or the habit to say no to things. For, we, 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 say no to good, we don't say no to good things, and we give up the most important and greater things. But also expectation. Ronald Rollheiser, he wrote a book called A Short Little Book on Prayer. He said this, too often we are left with the impression that all prayer should be high celebration, upbeat with high energy. The more variety, the better. Longer is better than shorter. The solution is not so much new prayer forms and more variety, but rhythm, routine, and established ritual. And a lot of us heard ritual and said, oh, no. We all have rituals, every single one of us. We all have different rituals that we engage in. The question is, are they shaping your soul and your mind and your body towards God or away from him. So one of the things that I've been trying to do with my uh, triplet and with our gospel community is we've been having fixed hours of prayer. We pray. Uh, there's a little devotional that, that I bought, and it, it gets me to pray two to three times a day at the same time. And it's just uh, five, ten minutes of just centering on God and being silent before God and just saying, okay, I, you're here, and practicing his presence and rooting myself deeper and deeper and deeper slowly into God. But also, listen, we, we expect prayer to always be exciting. And we expect to walk away enlightened. 
And we expect to walk away warm and fuzzy. And we expect of prayer what we don't expect of anything else. I don't know how your life is lived, but my life is generally lived at a pretty mundane level. There are, there are ups and downs, but it's generally at a mundane level. And I want us to start thinking about prayer as just that. Prayer is speaking to your Father, and it is okay. I, I, let, let, me, let me ease some of your maybe guilt. That maybe you've walked away not excited. It is okay to enter into uh, speech with God through your boredom. Have you ever been bored praying? Pray your boredom. Have you ever been lustful and you say, oh, I can't pray now because I'm so lustful? Pray your lust. Have you ever been angry at someone? You say, oh, I can't pray. I can't pray because I need to sort of sort this out first. Pray your anger. Every emotion that we have is given to us as a doorway, not as a doorstop into prayer. And so often we think, I, I, need, I just need to sort myself out just a little. And we forget the gospel. We forget the fact that you are not saved by your good behavior or your healthy emotions or your good relationships. Because we are saved by grace. And we're a mess. And we get to enter into that. And he wants to meet us in that mess. So, so often we don't pray because we expect the wrong things or we, uh, uh, our sinfulness stops us. And really, those are doorways into his presence. But also, another thing we can do besides prayer is silence. Silence. When was the last time you were absolutely, purposefully, in intentionally silent? Studies show that the average person in our world today can stand about 15 seconds of silence before we pick a, a device up, before we, you know, turn the TV on, before we utter a word. 15 seconds. That's a bit long for me. But I want to grow in, in, the, in the reality that, that, that we are called not only to speak, but to be silent. Blaise Pascal, he was a 17th century mathematician. He said this, and philosopher, he said this. He said, the, all the world's problems will be fixed if every person can be silent for 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes a day. And I wonder, what are we running from? What are you running from? Chaos. I believe a lot of our lives are being stretched. I believe a lot of our lives are full and overflowing, not in a good way. And we're afraid of the chaos, that silence, that our souls will scream when we're simply silent. And this is going to be harder for some of us than others. But I want you to practice two minutes of silence tonight before you open the word. Spend two minutes of silence and just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you as you approach Scripture. Prayer and silence, two individual practices that will root us deeply into Christ over the long haul. Listen, over the long haul. Listen, over the long haul. We, we so often expect this to happen next week. We expect to be who we want to be in just a couple weeks. But when's the best time to plant a tree? Ten years ago. You should have started ten years ago. I should have started ten years ago. 
When's the second best time to plant a tree? Today. We start together today. Those are some individual practices, but also communal practices. I want to end with four. One is celebrate together. Celebrate God's grace in your life. We have so many things. And at GC, one of the things that we want to do every week is uh, something called evidences of grace. You know, different GCs call it different things. I, I know uh, Newtown calls it new and goods. And, and what, what is happening in your life that you can celebrate with people around you? What is happening in your life that you can celebrate God for? We all celebrate birthdays at least once a year. How can we celebrate together? Celebrate what God is doing. And so often we, when we think of practices and spiritual practices, we think, you know, uh, prayer and, and fasting. And, and, but fun, listen, if anyone should be celebrating people, it should be us. The Bible does not end with a frown and boring harps as disembodied people. Some of you may like that. I wouldn't. The Bible ends with a party, with a wedding feast. It ends with food and drink and fun. And so often what we do is we say, well, that, that, that's, for, that's for them over there. We should be a people of celebration, but we should also be a people who bless. You know, Abraham uh, who we'll be looking at uh, uh, next year. Uh, his, his story begins at the end of chapter 11 in, in the Gospel of Ge- in, the, in Genesis, in the book of Genesis. Um, and in, in, in chapter 12, it begins with God blessing him and blessing him so that he can be a blessing. And Paul, he takes that and he interprets that as saying that this blessing is Christ. And we get to bless people, not only with our finances and with our time and with our homes and with parties and by paying each other's bills if we need to and by watching each other's kids if we have to, but we get to bless each other with the gospel. We get to bless and we get to say to each other every single week, Christ died for you. He loves you. You are the apple of his eye. When he was on the cross, it wasn't the nails that kept him there, but it was his love for you. And he had your name written on his heart and on his hands, and he saw you, and you were the prize that Hebrews 12 is talking about when he's saying that he withheld, that that he he put uh, uh, death to shame. He had your face in his mind's eye. Bless each other with the gospel every week. What a practice that could be. And also, we recreate together. We relax. We go on vacations. We go on weekends away together as a family and as, a, as gospel communities. We throw parties for each other's kids. We invite our friends. We make these spaces where your friends who you've been praying for or not praying for and my friends that I've been praying for and not praying for, we can come together and they can see. Why do they need to see? Because the Christian community is the hermeneutic of the gospel. It is what interprets the gospel to people. When they see people love one another and forgive one another and bear up with one another, they see the gospel. And what an opportunity then to say, hey, this is not because of me. But this is because I have been forgiven. And there's a God who created all things. And we have screwed this 
world up. And yet he loves us and he pursued us. And he's coming back for us. We recreate together. We, we, we enjoy one another, but also we eat together. There is no better space for creating and sustaining community than eating together. I mean, this goes back thousands of years. Bowling won't do it. You know, uh, movies, you're just staring at a screen. And though all those things are cool. Do that. Laser tag, that's fine. Paintball, count me in. But eating together, a simple meal. It doesn't have to be extravagant every week. But eating together, a simple meal, builds community, and it is a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth that are coming. So I want us to do this. I want us to think about, as we think about our individual practices, how can we make prayer a more realistic and sustainable practice? How can we learn to be silent in the presence of majesty? How can we together celebrate one another? How could we eat? How could we bless? How can we play together as a community? Because listen, if we can talk a, a good game, we can have a great uh, Instagram feed, we can produce great videos, but if all those things don't have in, uh, uh, invisible threads leading back to this, to a community that loves, to a community that forgives, to a community that forbears, to a community that is shaped more by the word than by the world, then it's all for nothing. But really, at the center of all this, the, the only way we can have community is this, is because there was another community. There was another community that was perfect, that didn't have any of the strife that we had, that didn't have any of the sin that we had, that didn't have any of the turmoil or tensions that we currently have. There was a community that was perfect. And that community was broken so that this community could be made whole. The community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was shattered on the cross mysteriously. And then what he does, he, he, that, that circle that was forever going, was broken, and now we get to enter in. So the question is, what kind of community do you want to be? Because our individual lives, indivi and I, I say this with quotes, individual lives, deeply affect what we do together. And what we do together will flow into what we do alone. So I invite you, listen, this is a big ask. I'm asking more, for, more than money. I'm asking for time. I'm asking for prayer. I'm asking for commitment. I'm asking you to die to the false selves that say that you are what you have, you are what people say about you, and you are what you know, what you make, or what you do. Die to that and live into this reality that Christ has called us into that we get to participate in. I'm going to pray now, and uh, one of the things that we love to do uh, together as a community is we, we love to celebrate, not, not only in word, but also uh, with, with our, our senses, with our smell and taste, and so we eat every single week together. Not only morning tea, and that's great, but we eat of the body and the blood of Christ. So as the band comes up, I want you uh, to spend some time in silence.
and I want the band to just wait just a minute. And I want to spend, no, 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 you, you can come up, you can come up, but, but before you play, you can come up, but before you play, just spend a minute in silence. Before we open our mouths to praise God, just sit in his presence. And as you come up and you enjoy the bread and the body of Jesus, remember that his community, his perfect community, was broken so that this one could be made whole. And if you need prayer, there's going to be a prayer team straight out the back. There's going to be some lights there. We're going to turn the lights down. And I want you to do business with God. And I want you to, uh, if there's sin that needs to be confessed, confess. This is a, a place of safety. This is a place of refuge. This is not a place of judgment. If you just need a healthy touch, if you just need someone to pray for you, if you just need someone to be with you, we want to pray for you at the back. So as the band gets ready, spend just, just a minute in, uh, in silence, and we'll ask the Lord to now speak to us and to minister to us as we approach communion and prayer.